Welcome to the podcast series, Saving the World Isn't Rocket Science, where we interview local researchers about sustainability problems in Trondheim and possible solutions. I'm Vilde, and I'm joined today by Katrina. We're a part of a group of students in the Experts in Teams project at NTNU. Today's podcast looks at sustainable agriculture. Pollution from agriculture is one of the main impact sectors on freshwater quality. A study conducted by Norwegian Research Center at Vestlande in 2020 showed that almost all rivers contained hay bale plastics and that agricultural plastics made up 70% of the total plastic. Norwegian Research Center also states that there might be a high correlation between the amount of microplastic and macroplastic in the rivers due to larger plastic parts being broken down both chemically and physically over time. Our guest today is here to talk about freshwater microplastics. Martin Wagner is an associate professor at NTNU at the Department of Biology. Martin, will you please introduce yourself and tell us about your field of study? My name is Martin Wagner. I'm an associate professor here at NTNU in Trondheim. And my specialty is environmental toxicology. So I'm looking at toxic things in the environment, in nature. And most of the research that really, really is in my brain today is about microplastics and nanoplastics and plastic pollution. So how do you conduct your research? Are you out in the field? Yeah, I'm, I'm not really a field biologist. I'm more of a lab person. So most of the research that we are doing takes place here at Gullershaugen campus in wet labs. So what we're doing is we're growing a lot of different animals and then we're exposing them to nanoplastics or microplastics. And then we're just studying like what like negative impacts that has on the fitness of the animals on their health, so to say. Um, and that's one part. We call it our um, in vivo work. So we work with living organisms, living beings. But then the other part is also using um, human cell cultures. So we're growing cells from humans. Um, and then we're studying, for example, whether those cells, let's say immune cells, for instance, they take up nanoplastics. And we want to understand if they do take up those plastic pieces and then what happens when they take up those pieces. So do they react to those plastic particles, etc.? Um, and that's that's what we call in vitro work. So we're using basically cell cultures to, to study the toxicity of those plastics. And have you found anything interesting with this in vitro research you're doing? Actually, research on plastic um, and the negative impacts of plastic on the environment is very, very young. So I think like the whole research area started, I would say, seriously, just like 10 years ago or something. So that gives you the amazing opportunity to, to investigate all kinds of stuff when nothing is really understood and nothing is really known. You have like this really, really huge blank page that you can look at and, and really, really investigate a lot of different things. And that's also what we did. So we started by studying whether like small um, aquatic uh, critters like zooplankton and lakes, for instance, whether they ingest plastic, because like that was the first step we wanted to know whether they eat those small particles. We also um, looked at like what kind of shapes of particles do they eat and what kind of sizes would they ingest, right? So that was kind of the first or the start of our research. And unsurprisingly, we found that like many of the animals, many of the species that we investigated were ingesting those microplastics because they're filter feeders. So they filter water for particles that they want to eat. And then if there's plastic in, the, in that water, they also eat that, right? 
mm. new muscles, for instance. But yeah, so that was the first thing. And then, of course, we started looking into does it have negative impacts on the fitness of, of different species? And indeed, you can you can see that uptake or an exposure to microplastic has negative impacts on fitness, on the reproduction, for instance, of, um, of um, aquatic species, however, at very high concentrations. So um, that's something that we're seeing in our research a lot is that you need to expose animals to very high concentrations of those plastic pieces and then they have negative impacts okay so what you're saying is that small doses doesn't necessarily have an impact well i told you before that like it's all very fresh and young research. Um, so there's a lot that we still don't understand. So if you look, for instance, whether uh, on the mortality um, of those animals exposed to microplastics, right? I mean, if they're dying, that's a very, very, I would say, harsh event to happen. Probably the worst outcome that like a pollutant can have on an animal. And um, really to kill an animal, you need very high concentrations. If you want to affect their reproduction, so they're producing less offspring, you need lower concentrations already. What the research community is now doing is looking into more kind of subtle effects, um, negative effects of those exposures. And of course, you can find like effects, for example, on like enzymes, detoxifying enzymes, and you find inflammatory effects also at lower concentrations. But the cool thing is that it's all developing at the moment, so there's still a lot we don't really understand, and that makes it so exciting. So the most of the research is done on new, uh, animals, right? So yeah, say the results could be applicable to humans? So humans are animals, of course, too. But most of the research that we do is like really on what we call invertebrates, so animals that don't have a spine basically and aquatic animals so for example we do a lot of work on water fleas and those are those tiny little creatures that you find in ponds during spring and of course if you see negative effects of plastics on those animals it doesn't necessarily mean that similar things would happen to humans but there is kind of very new research looking into more the human toxicity the human health effect of nano and microplastic exposures very interesting of course like we are really selfish creatures so of course first of all we want to know if it's like bad for our health and there is like very little that we know about it our research uh, when using cell cultures for instance is more looking towards what plastic chemicals are actually doing uh, with regards to human health because to be honest i think like many researchers focus on microplastics now But, you know, if we think about human and humans and human health, like everything that we're eating, for instance, or almost everything is packed in plastic. So I'm really interested in what all those chemicals that we use in plastic packaging really do to human health. And there we can see very exciting results in the recent studies that we did. We showed that consumer plastic products contain a lot of chemicals. Most of those chemicals we can't identify. We know that they are there, but we can't give them a name. They're, they're unknown. But we see that those chemicals have uh, quite negative effects in vitro and cell cultures. So at least we know that they're inducing some kind of toxicity. And I think that is very important when we talk about plastic and plastic pollution and plastic and human health. Is It's not only the microplastics that we should be looking into. It's also all the plastic chemicals that we are exposed to on a daily basis. So what you're saying is that it's not necessarily the plastic itself that's toxic, but also the chemicals 
Mm, right. So I think you can't really separate it, right? Because if you have food packed in plastic, that plastic will release small particles, right? So there will be microplastics or even nanoplastics in the packed food. But at the same time, it will also release chemicals that will also um, transfer to the foodstuff. So you always get like those small particles and chemicals at the same time. So I think we should consider that it's kind of a cocktail exposure from plastic. It's not either particles or chemicals. It's always both. And that makes makes it a bit tricky to, to, uh, to research and to investigate, but also quite fascinating, I think. Uh, but you now mentioned both micro and nanoplastic. Is there a difference between them and how would you define micro and nanoplastic? So the difference between nanoplastics and microplastics is the size, right? So um, there's still a lot of disagreement in the research community on how we should actually define nanoplastic and we should define microplastic. In general, we all agree that like microplastics are larger than one micrometer and then up to one millimeter or five millimeter. There's some argument um, about the upper limit, size limit um, of microplastics. And then there's agreement that nanoplastics are smaller than one micrometer. So everything that's smaller somehow is, is considered nanoplastics. And then there's a lot of technical discussions about where this really exactly starts. But let's just say like nanoplastics is like the smaller version of microplastics. And of course, the idea is that like in the environment or when we're using plastic, they will just release microplastics and th those microplastics will further degrade into nanoplastics. So we can... Again, talk about cocktail exposure. So we're not only getting exposed to large microplastics, but we're getting exposed to a whole range of different sized particles. Yeah. And just to wrap up the micro nanoplastic discussion, do they have the same level of impact? I think like researchers tend to believe that the smaller those particles get, the more toxic they get. One basic idea behind that is if you ingest like a very large piece of plastic, you will just ingest it again, right? So just think about children eating a piece of Lego. It will just go in and hopefully come out again. Um, so, but if you have like smaller particles, especially those particles that are smaller than 10 micrometer, they have the potential to transfer to your body right so they don't stay in your lungs or in your guts or outside the body but they may might pass through biological barriers across epithelia and then they will end up in your body in your tissues in your organs and that's what we are most concerned about and that's especially true for the very small particles so there's some research now that shows that very small pieces of plastic, nanoplastics, uh, might be transferring to the body and then they will be distributed in the body and they accumulate in specific organs, etc. Uh, all very fresh research, but that's why everybody's concerned about the smaller or the very small plastic particles, right? And the problem is we expect them to be more toxic, but we can't really analyze them. So there's this tension between like we want to know like how many nanoplastics we have in our food, for instance, or in our air, in our water, but we don't really have the tools to analyze it. So I think there's a lot of room for, for technical improvements there. Up until now, the main source of plastic production has been petroleum-based, right? But mm. there are bio-based alternatives as well. And you've done some research on those. Haven't you? Mm, right. So looking at bioplastics, 
And I would just start by saying bioplastics is really a bad term because it's like a catch-all for bio-based materials, bio-based plastics, which are made from renewable carbon stocks, right? So for example, you use agricultural waste, you use the carbon and starch and sugarcane, for instance, or in leftovers from mice production to make plastic, and that's bio-based plastic. But then also covered under this bioplastic term is biodegradable plastics, which can be everything. It can be made from petroleum. It can be made from renewable carbon sources. And that's just like the biodegradable thing is a bit kind of controversial because a lot of producers label their, their plastics biodegradable. But there's actually no good standards for testing biodegradability. So there's actually a lot of good research showing that supposedly biodegradable plastics simply don't degrade. So you need to put them in industrial composting facilities, 60 degrees Celsius, you need special bacteria, and then they degrade. But people often think like, yeah, if it's biodegradable, it can be just like be in the environment and it will go away. And that's actually not true. So you were asking about the bio-based option here. And we've been doing some research into the chemicals that are used in bio-based plastics and other plant-based materials. So for instance, all those bamboo plates that you get now, nowadays, etc. And the basic idea was we wanted to know whether they contain um, less toxic chemicals than petroleum-based conventional plastics. So we've been looking into that and we've been extracting all the chemicals from all those bio-based materials. And then we've done some fancy chemical analysis to look into how many chemicals we find and what type of chemicals we find. And then we also did our in vitro work with the cell cultures to look for toxicity of this overall mixture of plastic chemicals coming from those bioplastic products. And what we found indeed was that bioplastics or bio-based plastics in that regard contain the same amount of toxicity like petroleum-based plastics. So they are not less toxic than conventional plastics. And they also contain an amazingly large number of chemicals. So we found on average, I think like in most of the products, we found more than 1,000 or 2,000 chemicals in one bioplastic product. And that is really a challenge because like, think about like, how do you want to assess the health effects of 2,000 chemicals that are just in one bioplastic product in a spoon, for instance, or in a cup or in a drinking bottle? And I think that really, and in that regard, our, our research really shows that we are dealing with a very complicated problem here. So many chemicals are used in those plastic materials that it's very hard to make sure that they're, that they're safe for, for human health. Yeah. So what you're actually saying is that bio-based plastics aren't better than the petroleum-based ones? Yeah, they're not more toxic, but they're not better. Now, the problem is and that's also why the bioplastics industry is not very happy about our results the problem is of course that it's not only the toxicity or the plastic chemicals that you need to consider when you talk about bio-based plastics right of course like the big advantage of bio-based plastics compared to fossil-based plastic is that it's from renewable carbon right and if you're using food waste for instance or agricultural waste so you're not using crops that you would use to make food. Otherwise, you're using just the waste from food production. I think that can be a very sustainable thing to do. But I think at the same time, I mean, everybody's really focused on 
making the environmental impacts of plastics better by using those bio-based materials. But at the same time, I think we should also make the chemicals that we use in those plastics safer, right? So I think the bioplastics industry, if they want to do something better, and I think they want, they cannot only look at the carbon footprint and the water footprint of their products. They also must include the safety of the chemicals that they're using. And so far, they have just ignored that. Yeah. Great. So now we're kind of moving in the direction of solutions. Are there any solutions to this plastic problem? The problem with plastics and plastic pollution is that it's a very wicked problem. Uh, and wicked, I mean, in the sense that like plastics are so entangled in our modern lives that there is no single solution to it, right? So there's very many different things that we can do. First of all, for instance, improve waste management infrastructures and waste management in general, especially in the global south, right? So we know that a lot of the plastic waste and plastic litter that we find in the oceans is coming from countries that don't have proper waste management systems in place, right? So I think like one thing is, of course, supporting those countries and developing systems for dealing with their waste. Another thing is that we can just stop exporting our plastic waste to those countries, right? So that's what we're doing at large scales. We're just like sending our plastic litter to countries for recycling where it doesn't really get recycled, just gets discarded. So we are just like also part of the problem by just like trying to get rid of our waste and just, you know, it's out of sight and out of mind, so to say. So I think like the waste problem is something that we can deal with from an engineering perspective. At the same time, of course, we also need to think about like what, the, why we're using so much plastic. And I think the main driver is like the low price of plastics, very low costs. Uh, the costs for making polyethylene are on an all-time low simply because fossils are so cheap at the moment. And that is, of course, a cool thing because then we don't need to pay a lot of money for plastics. But that's also a driver for us using more and more plastics all the time. And maybe that's not to deal with the cost um, price problem. You could introduce um, just plastic taxes and you could use the revenue from plastic taxes to fund cleanup activities and awareness building and things like that. So I think that is um, also something that people don't really don't often think about. Um, because like mostly people think about that they should use less plastic and that's all great and that's all very good. Making a change in your life, using less plastic, using less unnecessary plastics is of course a good contribution everybody can make. But I think we should not forget that we should really, really kind of redesign our whole plastic economy. So it's not only the responsibility of each one of us. But I think we just need to design a better plastic system, so to say. You know, we have the PUNT system in Norway for, for PET bottles, for instance. That works very well. Why don't we try to uh, implement that for other types of plastic, right? So you can just re recycle it in a, almost a closed loop. Things like that, I, I think we need to think about a lot. And um, yeah, I basically think like we really need to redesign the plastic materials that we're using. The plastic products need to be redesigned to make them reusable, make them recyclable at least. But there's really a lot that we can do um, there to make things better. And that's all covered by what we call circular economy, right? So this whole idea of not losing material, but keeping plastics in a closed loop. 
So we're not downcycling, we're not incinerating, we're not landfilling. We just like keep those plastics in a loop and we just reuse them all the time. And I think that would be awesome if we would manage to to get to that point. Yeah. Nice. Thank you. Okay, final question. Have yeah. you changed any of your habits after your research? <laughs> yeah, as I said, like I'm I'm not a very strong believer in like that my plastic consumption will have a big impact. I think if many people change their plastic consumptions, of course it will have an impact, but I think like we should think more about systems and how we can redesign the whole system instead of asking the consumer to make, to make the change, right? Thank you so much, Martin, for joining our podcast. So to wrap it up, no pun intended, plastic food packaging contains toxic chemicals, which might be an incentive to avoid it. Also keep in mind, don't throw away bioplastics in nature. It's not necessarily any better for the environment than regular plastics. However, for the environment as a whole, it looks like individual changes might not impact too much, but a systematic change will. The aim for the future seems to be a system where all resources are reused. Circular economy seems to be the buzzword of our time. And to finish off on a good note, the day we record this podcast, Fellowship announced that they have expanded their pilot project of collecting hay balls plastics from all farmers across the country. This is definitely a step towards the right direction. This podcast was created as part of the EIT program at NTNU in collaboration with Wilde Ors, Katrin Noswold, Herda Pastong Savas, Mila Vlotes, and Janis Wacker.